there you, there you are. Are William, you ready to rock? That's William Flag right there. William Flag. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Do it. Let's do it. All do right. It, well, hello. Oh, you were about to say something. Okay, I just man, cut in. You know, on, that's all right. It's cool. Well, well welcome to This Is Pro Wrestling, where we're diving deep into the history, legacy, traditions, and legends of the one true sport, professional wrestling. I'm here. I'm Gary Horde. And I'm, as always, joined by the uh, resident historian, Dr. Robert Stinson. Hello, Dr. Rob. You didn't mention you didn't mention how good of a hair day I'm having today, man. Look at this. It's fabulous. It's like a it ready to do like a folk album or something. I look like doggone Fabio up in here, like the the, the dark headed, the black haired Fabio, man. I was watching AEW Dark and Ryan Nimeth was on there, and Taz said uh, something about like a. Uh, Oh, he, he does. He's he's just all natural. He dyes his he dyes his roots black. But like, <laughs> and his, for some reason that line got me. And I'm <laughs> glad I shared it with you all. All right, and uh, also also here as always is Mr. Will Martin. Hey, Will. Hello, all you beautiful people. I don't know if Gary mentioned or addressed you yet, but you're all beautiful, and mm. we're thankful that you're joining us. And for the audio listeners that can't see Rob's hair. It really does look kind of spectacular. I'm just going to, you know me, I shoot straight. So if I say it, it's true. It's got like a weird wave to it. Like it's just not weird. I mean, like it's It's just kind of slightly distressed, sort of savage. Full bodied. Yeah. You look, you look 60 years younger. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, don't, for those of you who think this kind of like a sharp 52. (laughs) (laughs) man. 52 is the new 25, baby. All right. Well, uh, I could get you in trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, this is episode number three of the history of pro wrestling. We're walking through everything. If this is your first time with us, let me just say welcome. And also, what the hell are you doing with this episode? Who starts a series at episode three? Besides my wife, honestly. She would do that. That's something. Or Star Wars. Oh, good point. Well, they started with four. Four. Yeah. So yeah, wrong again. Will. Just saying. I'm just saying. Not so fast. Will. Four. Yeah. Not so fast. (laughs) One is an odd number. One's an even. Oh, that's true. One's divisible by two. One's not. Mm -mm. Anyway, my wife bits Mm. books and she reads the last chapter first. Like she, she hates spoilers. She loves spoilers. She doesn't like surprises. Yeah, my wife's the same way. Whenever she starts a new show, she goes online to see like how it ends, to de- to determine if she wants to like invest her time into like watching all the seasons. And I'm like, I couldn't do that. To me, it's the journey. So yeah, that's part of it, man. Sometimes you're disappointed. Sometimes it's worth it though. But you got to not know what's coming next. So anyway, seriously, uh, all that out of the way, you should go back and start at the beginning of this series, not the beginning of the whole podcast, but like at least episode one of this series. They're pleasantly numbered for you, so it's easy to find, and maybe even check out that introduction episode so you can learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. We're pretty proud of this series so far, and we hope you're enjoying it, and we can't wait to get your feedback wherever you want to send it. You can do that right now. It's at TIPW Show on all the social medias, TIPWShow.com, TIPW show at gmail.com. It's easy to find. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, yeah, one of the coolest things about the show is you never know who's going to show up. We've had actual appearances on the show from Joseph, who wrestled the Angel, and William Flag. William Flag was here uh, last we week. Promos. You never know who's going to show. Up. Who might show up today? Uh, <laughs> well, one one quick fact check. I believe it was Jacob that wrestled. Yeah, Jacob. Oh my God. So we don't want to mislead the listeners. 
We don't well, want to the listeners who might be big Joseph fans. Pre- they're they're Presbyterians, to be fair. Different, yes. okay. different yeah. religion than most. Ooh. You got yeah. me, man. He can edit Ooh, that out, I'm sure. Don't let Rob, yeah, don't don't let Rob's church hear this one. Yep. <laughs> I've already been excommunicated once, so let's not. Oh, gosh. Well, well, that again, <laughs> I hope they down. don't find this podcast in general. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. So just a quick recap here. We have worked our way through the Greeks getting butt naked and gripping each other like bowling balls for the advantage in a tussle. We've gone from, uh, like Rob just talked about, Jacob or Joseph, if you're nasty, delivering a jackhammer to the Lord God himself. Uh, we got all the way through the early American settlers gouging out the eyes of their opponents like they're dang cavemen. And then we got straight into the birth of unchecked capitalism itself when carnivals toured the small towns praying on the poor to collect every red cent they'd ever earned through lies and deception. Sorry, Rob, I had to do that. Well, we're not sure it was lies and deception quite yet. I mean, and we know that some of it was a work. A lot of it was still a shoot, though. Uh, and I think you'll find that... And what we're going to go through right now, we still are in that kind of gray area where you got a, maybe some shooting going on, maybe some working going on, and maybe a mixture of both. There's a big debate on whether the stuff we're going to talk about today was even whether it was all a shoot or not. And for those of you who are you know not uh, into or aware of what the terminology is, a shoot means like real, like this is really happening. These guys are really going at it. They're really mad at each other. There's real heat. There's real competition. And a work is when, hey, they're – the, you know, the fix is on, they're putting on a show and the outcome is determined. So uh, in this era, like my wife, when we're doing it, (laughs) (laughs) so I just, I took the, I I don't know why I said that. I I feel like this is a G rated podcast and I ruin it every week. It has not yet been a a G rated podcast. What planner are you on, man? Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) This is G rated. If you're on like, if you're on like in the red light district in Amsterdam, I guess, but even then, man, (laughs) We're pretty tame for prostitutes, is what yeah. we're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's our anyway, it wasn't quite all this nasty as I made it sound, but we definitely did learn that Cardi's got to make a living too. And they have ways of making you cough up a nickel, and perhaps none so great as when they discovered, nay, truly invented the sport we know today as professional wrestling. Uh, essentially, over the past couple of episodes, we've learned that uh, if one of mankind's greatest achievements, I think, has and hasn't always will be to, if it exists, will not just make money off of it, but if it could be gambled on, we'll gamble on it too. Well, it's that and whiskey. I really like whiskey. So those are mankind's greatest achievements, I think. Um, anyway, it, it reminds me of Rule 34. Have you guys heard of Rule 34 on the internet? You can Google it. It's, it's a real thing. It's, it's Rule 34. The basic definition is, it goes something like this. If it exists and can be imagined, there's already internet porn of it. So that is, that's called rule 34. Anyway, you can uh, figure that out on your own time. <laughs> you, know what, uh, you know what Murphy's law is, right? What's that? Dale Murphy. Dale Murphy. Now you know what Murphy's law is, right? Yeah. If yeah. something can go wrong, it will go wrong. Right. You know, sure, what Cole's yeah. law, you know what Cole's law is? What's that? Shredded cabbage, baby. God dog. <laughs> <laughs> we walked we walked into that uh, we did okay one, one last thing and i'll shut up i just want to remind everybody that we'll be diving a teensy bit deeper into some historical figures today in this episode but still not as much depth as they deserve we know this 
and we're going to double back and we'll cover individuals in future episodes. Right now, this is more of a series showing us a timeline from there to here in regards to just what pro wrestling is. There will be time for all of the personal details later. That said, last episode, we did discuss a few folks in the world of wrestling. Colonel James Hiram McLaughlin. We talked about George William Flag, son, coming at you half-mast. The solid man, William Muldoon, the original Strangler, Evan Lewis, but none, perhaps, were so important, Rob, as Martin Farmer Burns. Maybe not only the prototype showman in pro wrestling, boasting a 20-inch neck, it was unbreakable, I believe, he'd hang himself. He boasted a 6,007 win-loss record. Farmer Burns, when, when Ric Flair talks about to be the man, you got to beat the man, Farmer Burns was probably the OG man, mm-hmm. I'd have to say. And then, uh, and and just to, to round that off, in 1895, he beat Evan the Strangler Lewis to win the American Heavyweight Championship, which he would hold for two years. But what's even crazier than all of that, Rob, is it wasn't even his entering career that he was most famous for. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at a guy that not only is this guy, especially in the era that we're talking about right now, is he's maybe in the top five, definitely in the top ten active wrestlers. This guy has cemented the greatest legacy, regardless of what he did in the ring, simply because of his uh, work as a trainer and teacher. You know, we're advocates of education here, and uh, in the history of education in the sport of pro wrestling, Farmer Burns has the rank as the greatest of all time. I mean, um, over 3,000 students went through his uh, instruction and, uh, and tutelage, uh, some of the greats that went through his training include guys like Toots Mont. I love that name, Toots. I just want to say Toots, Toots Horn. <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> toots. <laughs> the Toots Mont. Y'all don't mess with me. I'm Toots. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone oh, look out. This is Toots. <laughs> Better watch out. I'm over here tooting. Headliner tonight is the is the savage William McFallen versus Toots Mott. I'm gonna toot on you. you. (laughs) Toots Mott, the brutal, the savage Toots Mott. You had Panther Joe Malkovich, you had Rudy Dusek, but none of them rank higher than the great Frank Gotch. Okay, now. The growth of the Burns School would coincide with the rise of the first true international pro wrestling superstars. Now, we've had big stars, okay? But we're talking about the rise of the first true international superstars, one on one side of the Atlantic and one on the other. Martin, like Martin Burns was popular, and he, he was touring around and stuff. But but this is we're, we're taking things up to another level now. And, uh, and like you said, Barbara Burns was training all these people. I, I saw, like, names... Uh, just ones you didn't even mention, like Earl Caddick and uh, Jack Taylor, who went on to Calgary, who would go on to train the legendary Stu Hart, father of Brett Nolan, granddaddy to Natty and Davy Boy Jr. Yeah, Farmer Burns literally like created the hearts. Like the whole heart dynasty has a direct lineage to Martin Farmer Burns. And, and it wasn't and all of this was all of this was in Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah. Farmer Burns is an Iowa native, and Iowa is really sacred ground when it comes to pro wrestling in the United States. I mean, that's sort of like, you know, I'm not going to say it's the birthplace because 
Farmer Burns is definitely not the first wrestler by saying we've established that, but it becomes essentially the heart of and and the vitality of pro wrestling in the United States. The Farmer Burns School. He's from uh, 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 Burns was from Iowa, and then Frank Gotch himself was from Humboldt, Iowa, a plowboy, as it were. Yeah, that that was one of the things that you know as as somebody who came into a lot of this without any prior context was one of the things that I've learned in all this is I didn't realize that Iowa was such a hotbed or birthplace for pro wrestling. I don't know where I thought it came from, maybe the South or something like that, but that's super interesting that, that, you know, all of this kind of materialized out of Iowa of all places. We always think of like uh, pro wrestling gets like lumped in or like uh, it gets lumped in with the South all the time. People pretend like it's like, oh, it's an old redneck thing, you know, and that sort of thing. But Iowa is not really where you're thinking of. You're thinking of South Carolina or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's and Even today, Iowa is still, I mean, you think the greatest, probably the greatest amateur wrestler of all time was Dan Gable. I mean, Dan Gable is like, when you think of any sport, you know, you think of Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron for baseball. Uh, you know, you think of Joe Montana for football. You think of Dan Gable when it comes to amateur wrestling. And he was, you know, he was a an Iowa student, studied at uh, Iowa State University, and of course uh, had the most legendary career of all time. So there's always been this special connection to um, wrestling in Iowa. And I think one of the pro wrestling hall of fames, the definitive there, there's one in Texas. I know that. And then there's definitely one in Iowa. There's a few, there's not obviously a, a, a centralized controlled hall of fame, but Iowa has always been key and critical. And of course, you know, two of your early great American figures, farmer Burns, and Frank Gotch are natives of, of of Iowa. Like there's the one in Wichita Falls, and then there's the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, the George Tragos Luthez Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. I think that's in Waterloo. Iowa. Yeah. So, yeah, Waterloo. Is that what that song's about? I never knew that. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well anyway, so, well, well, what I was gonna say is to no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say it, it wasn't just in person too that Farmer Burns was doing all this. Rob's talking about three thousand students. I mean, he wasn't just walking around hanging out with each one. I mean, at least I think I saw sixteen hundred or so were in person. Like he was opening gyms and doing all of this stuff. I mean, they say like high school wrestling, part of the reason that exists are from some of Farmer Burns training programs. They were like sort of built off of that. But anyway, he also did like a mail order course, which I thought was incredible. Yeah, Just like he that. Was one of the first, he was, the, no, this is no joke. And now we cut up a lot, but he was one of the first ever in education to do correspondence courses. And that is a serious, serious comment. He would do, do instruction through correspondence. He also did the first ever Zoom class. Uh, believe <laughs> <or not. laughs> so, yeah, crazy. He was actually the first guy to yell, you're muted. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Farmer Burns, for that. It was just that he was laying the foundation for everything. I think maybe it was in Pro Wrestling FAQ from Solomon or somewhere where I saw like, yeah, it was Solomon. He got the last interview with Luthez before he passed, but Luthez talked about having the chance to actually meet Farmer Burns before he passed away and uh, saying that, you know, he, he went around and planted everything. We're just, you know, picking the fruits of his labor or something afterwards. Some, some quote like that, but yeah, anyway. it's like in philosophy, everything in philosophy is a footnote to Plato and Aristotle. Everything in wrestling is a footnote ultimately to Farmer Burns, at least in American wrestling, because, you know, George Hackenschmidt did not train under Farmer Burns. He he grew up in a, you know, under the the European Greco-Roman style, catching as catch can was much bigger in the United States than it was in Europe. Wait a minute, so you're saying over across the sea, there's somebody else doing just as well? Somebody Listen, is... Man. 
this just speaks to how integral wrestling is to human nature independently. It's crazy how this happens independently of one another. You've got this American tradition growing up around the Burns school. And then you've got this European tradition growing up. And of course the one that rises, we could go on and on about this and we will go back to, to delve into this in more detail, but just for the sake of time, the one that emerges as the most dominant most recognized, most storied athlete in Europe is a guy that we know as the Russian bear. Incidentally, was not Russian. He was Estonian, which was part of the Russian empire. His parents, I think, were German and Swedish or French and Swedish. But he was from Estonia. And he's a guy that, that we know as George Hackenschmidt, who goes down in history as the Russian lion. George Hackenschmidt was emerging as the greatest wrestler of the old world. He would go and travel the continent. He won tournaments in Vienna, tournaments in France. And eventually he settled in England and he began, rightfully so, proclaiming himself as the undisputed European champion. And so this is happening independently of the Burns School. Now, I'm sure there's there's some crossover and there's some exchange and through um, news and whatnot, they're aware of what's going on. But Hackenschmidt is not a Farmer Burns product. He's not a product of the catch is catch tra tradition that evolved from colonial days and all that. This is something that happened on its own. This is probably a more pure direct descendant from Greco Roman wrestling and pancreation and all those kinds of things that are already existing in the continent before being exported to the United States. Yeah. Some places I was reading uh, that Europe may have like advanced this process a little bit earlier than the Americans had that, that in France, like uh, there was, Jean Exproyet, who who had technically maybe the first traveling carnival with wrestlers uh, that was doing that thing. He was a Frenchman, uh, and he was the uh, he popularized flat hand wrestling, which is you know we we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's all above the waist stuff. There was an Italian wrestler named uh, Basilio Bartoletti, and he came along. He started calling flat hand by what we know it better as now. Rob, Rob was talking about the uh, Greco-Roman. Rob taught us a lot about this last week. But uh, this was the hot ticket in Europe, and it caught on in Russia and that whole area. And uh, as far as we know, still a shoot. I mean, as much as you could find anything about it. And in 1898, so this is a, right around the same time, this Frenchman, the Colossus, Paul Pons, he defeated, I'm going to mispronounce this name, but Vladislaus Pietlasinski for the first ever world championship in Greco-Roman wrestling. And then came Barack Lesnar. Not really, but it's uh, is George Hackenschmidt. It's close enough, but just like your farmer bird style stuff, this guy was more than just a badass. Like he was a specimen. Um, Rob's uh, telling you all the stuff that, that's cool about him, but he's he's the guy like all the men want to be him, and all the ladies came to see him. He was jacked to the gills, like just just a good looking dude. He spoke like seven languages. Like he was. Not only just super strong and kick ass, he was also very intelligent and well read and that sort of thing. Uh, he performed ridiculous feats of strength. He was known for like lifting horses. That was a thing. And Russian horse penis, very long, must lift very high. <laughs> so there goes that G rating. <laughs> and we're, we're talking about we're talking about the original meat mountain here. You know what I'm talking about? Right. He looked like Hammerstone, like he kind of <laughs> did. In fact, when I see Hammerstone, that's who I think of. I think of the Russian line. 
you know? Yeah. And uh, for the lion, he actually invented the bear hug. That's where that move came from. This is this guy. He was just so strong. That was like one of his, that was like one of his signature moves. Uh, and in his debut, like right around his debut, at least in 1898, he beat Paul Pons, who I think this was technically just before Paul Pons won that Greco-Roman championship. But uh, by this time, people were just kind of like, you know, they got it. It almost seems like, and I need to dig more on this, but it was like Pons tried to carry on his thing as I'm the world champ, but people had kind of already moved on to Hackenschmidt at this point. They were like, nah, Hackenschmidt's uh, the big dog. He's the Roman Reigns here. And uh, anyway, so basically what Rob was describing is a lot of people try to claim to be the best and Hackenschmidt made it a point to go beat them if they said they were the best. And so he did. And he became a legend, supposedly taking on like five or 10 people in one night. And, uh, and not just the legend in Europe and Russia, by the way, but everywhere, like oh, world yeah. leaders loved this guy. I mean, he was everywhere. And I just looking at my man, Carl Stern's notes, he's probably knows more about George Hackenschmidt than any man alive in 1900 in June of 1900, George Hackenschmidt, 22 years old, becomes the champion of the Russian czars international tournament by defeating Belgian champion, Constant Le Boucher. I'm not sure that that's pronounced correctly. Petrov, the Bulgarian giant. I don't even want to mess with that guy. Pitus, the tiger of France. Mikhailov, the mighty Cossack. Spanish champion, Shirella. This guy beat the Spanish champion in 29 seconds, bro. 29 seconds. Uh, German champion, Emil Fengel. That doesn't sound like a German name, but... And he won a forfeit over Frenchman Laurent Le Berrois, who evidently didn't want any of the Russian line. Later on that year, uh, in uh, uh, September, he wins a Budapest tournament. That's not Booty Fest, Gary. Budapest. Uh, Budapest. I was going to say I've been there, but guess not. But guess who he beats in, in Budapest? Some of who? these names you're not going to recognize, but you will recognize one. He beat uh, Kara Ahmed from Turkey, uh, Weber from Germany, Sandor from Hungary and a cat from the United States named William Muldoon. What? He beat William Muldoon? Eat him, bro. He beat yeah. William Flag, baby. <laughs> take a William Flag. The other thing, too, is that you have to realize that in this old school tradition, the Europeans evidently were very conscientious of the legacy and the history that they had inherited. For America, you know, in America, everything was new. They were. There, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, I mean, people had the, you know, Patriots pride linked to their father and their grandfather. But in Europe, they had the pride that was linked to the origins of civilization. And so European wrestlers are very, very uh, gentlemanly. And as big and bad a man as George Hackenschmidt was, he was always construed and perceived of as a gentleman. Uh, as opposed to the rough and tumble frontier, more uh, white trash style of, of the Americans, you know, like a, a more Frank Gotch, Farmer Burns style. You know what I mean? Little Jack no, Smith wasn't quite as trailer park. Oh. I'll tell you, I would love, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he pitched the idea of the bear hug as a wrestling move. He's like, okay, just get this, guys. It's a hug, right? And everyone's like, oh, come on. He's like, no, but it hurts. Like, <laughs> it's a hug, but it like actually really, really hurts you. 
You may have stumbled well, onto the answer, though. Actually, I don't think he have... offered a suggestion. I think it just – he just decided <laughs> he probably, it happened. He probably day. just said, here, come here, let me give you a hug, and then kill I'm going to do this now. And they were like, that should be a wrestling move. Funny you should say that, Will, because I actually have George Hackenschmidt on, on the air right now. Oh, my gosh, George. Discussing, it's great to... uh, discussing the invention of the bear hug. Mr. Hackenschmidt, how are you doing? I'm very good. It's good to be here. I, I enjoyed the time that you were all spending with me. I The bear hug is one of my favorite maneuvers. I have never physically hugged bear, but sometimes as a strong man, you do you, you miss the touch of woman. Sometimes men try to run away and you intimacy. Intimacy, I believe, is how you say it. And I try to stop men from running, so I hug them close. Now, uh, so I think you're, you're just misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, because you're you're one of the great gentlemen in wrestling, Mister yeah. Hackett. Also, have a horse penis. Ah, yeah, that's uh, that was going to be my next question. So, thanks, you have a man. Is it a horse penis? And I love to bear hug. <laughs> a lot of animal, a lot of animalistic instincts. Thanks for joining us there, uh, Mister Hackett. Russian lion with horse penis, <laughs> George Hackett. Hey. Thank you. All right, man. Oh, you, never, you just never know. Never know who's going to show up here, man. Remarkably good connection. He had a remarkably good connection (laughs) wherever he was in the universe. It was good to hear from George. Thanks so much for stopping by. But anyway, uh, yeah, everywhere you look, if you look up George Hackenschmidt, you'll start seeing that Teddy Roosevelt quote. uh, If I wasn't president of the United States, I would like to be George Hackenschmidt. I assume he's also talking about the horse penis. Uh, So in 1903, like Rob said, George went to England where Catch His Catch Kid had become the preferred style. Now, Catch, unlike Flathead, Greco-Roman, you can go below the waist which you don't want to do with George, but I'll lay off that for a second. What I'm saying is, is that Hackenschmidt wasn't used to this. So anyway, it didn't matter. He killed everybody. He became the world champion in England too. And uh, so now, now he was the recognized like world champion. People were just like, F it, man, just give him the trophy. Like this, like he's, right, right. he's the dude. Nobody, nobody's arguing. Rob, back in the old U S of a though. Yeah, that's right. In the U S of a, the it Joker to his Batman, right? The Moriarty <laughs> to his Sherlock, the Rocky to his Drago. I can keep. I, I don't. Well, I, I was going to say I could keep going, but I can't. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Now you you got it, man. It don't matter to Farmer Burns what some old European, some fancy pants are saying over in Europe about who the world champion is, because in America they have their own assertions about who the world champions are, and in, in the mind of the Americans, you have the most deliberate dedicated school of professional wrestling right here in good old Humboldt, Iowa. Well, not Humboldt. That's where, where Gotcha's from. But in, in Iowa, Waterloo, somewhere around those, those parts, under Farmer Burns, and they're producing all these champions. And, of course, you have the rise of someone who will go down in history as the peerless one, Frank Gotch. He was a plowboy from Humboldt, Iowa, and his rise to fame was accidental. He uh, accepted a challenge from a traveling wrestler who was posing as a salesman uh, just happened to be Don McLeod, who was the American heavyweight champion. He was the, uh, I wouldn't say that he had the international prestige of Hackenschmidt yet, but he was the top of the, he was the cock of the walk in, in America. Don McLeod was, and he would travel often under uh, various personages and, and uh, under, under, uh, you know, dubious personas in order to, to hustle the marks, you know, he's out there to make money. 
And he happened to accept the challenge of Frank Gotch. And Frank Gotch lost the match. But in losing the match, he impressed McLeod so much. Now, we're talking about the American heavyweight champion, guys. He impressed McLeod so much that McLeod handed him his card, gave him his number, and said, look, I want you to meet somebody. I want you to meet my man, Farmer Burns. And he connected Farmer Burns with Gotch. And Gotch became his greatest student, obviously. Okay, we, we know that. Now, uh, after going in, being inducted into the Got- into the Burns School, for the next half decade, Gotch would tour North America, going as far as the Pacific Northwest, all the way into the Yukon, wrestling here and there, gaining experience, collecting win after win, becoming uh, one of the most talked about wrestlers in North America. And eventually, he gained the reputation for being the toughest wrestler on this side of the Atlantic, even though he was not yet the champion. Yeah, and Gotch and Burns almost seem to have their very first, like, oh, well, I guess you could count that uh, one French thing, you know, maybe those carnivals. But I was just thinking, like, the first wrestling promotion almost, because they would, they would like, travel together, and then they would start wrestling each other, too, like, yeah. put on exhibitions and that sort of thing. Just uh, my understanding was is where less of a chance you're going to have something go out of control, like, they'll actually put on shows with two guys wrestling. Um, right, they had a traveling troupe, basically, and, yeah. and they would run the circuit together. <clears throat> But but the champion was Tom Jenkins. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, despite what people may think, and I thought going into this, Gotch is the guy that would take it from Farmer Burns and run with it. But that's actually not true. Right. Tom Jenkins is the man. And Tom Jenkins is currently the recognized. I mean, you got McLeod. And through a, a various a set of circumstances, eventually Tom Jenkins becomes recognized as the American champion. And... Frank Gotch and Tom Jenkins would meet. In fact, we have a series coming up at some point called the nine levels of hate because Tom Jenkins and Frank Gotch eventually have a legendary series of at least nine matches that we know of might be more, but there are a combination of private matches. Um, and I'm here in my notes here. I've got the first match. I'm not going to go into detail here because we'll do this later, but the first match between Frank Gotch and Tom Jenkins takes place in uh, 1900, while Gotch was still training with Farmer Burns. Um, and l- let me just read this little excerpt here. It says, um, around the Sunday of the last week of October, this is in 1900, Tom Jenkins traveled to Humboldt to meet with friend Farmer Burns and to get a look at the new prospect. A private match then took place between Jenkins and Gotch with the champion, that would be Jenkins, pinning the boy in 58, mi- 58 minutes, man. God, we're so <laughs> weak today. We are so weak. Only insiders were present, and the only mention we have of this match is two sentences in the Humboldt Republican. There you go. On November 1st, 1910. Uh, so this is 10 years after the fact. So we, we have a record or an anecdote of a meeting between um, Gotch and Jenkins as early as October of 1900. They would go on to have eight other matches. Um so this set up to be one of the first great feuds uh, between uh, between professional wrestlers in America. Yeah, it's almost like they hated each other. Yeah, nine levels of hate. Nine levels of hate. I don't know, man. I don't really hate nobody. I'm just a Humboldt, Iowa farm boy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just all I'm saying is is I, I I would unplug his life support to charge my iPhone. That's what I'm saying. 
<laughs> that is a direct quote from the, the, the Humboldt Republican, is it? Yeah. Republican. We found an old newspaper where Frank Gotch said those words. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're nothing. We're nothing if not historically accurate. I've got a. I've got a great. I don't want to lose my page here, but I've got a great resource here that I. I'm a one of the patrons that I'm a member of, uh, Carl Stern, who is the only court endorsed wrestling historian in the state of Georgia has put together the pioneers of wrestling. Well, what I love about this is it has a very detailed win, you know, set of listing of matches going all the way back to the pioneer days as early as 3000 BC. <laughs> I've got okay. every match from 3000 BC. Now it's got a great listing of like Frank Gotch's matches, hack and shit's matches, a bunch of other uh, matches, but wait, were you joking about 3000 BC? No, it's 3000 BC. According Carl, to, you need to calm down, man. Brah, look, there it is, 3000 BC. It's you it can't. All right. Hey, Carl Stern, don't lie, bro. I believe it. Fiend, the Fiend versus the Undertaker was in there. That's right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I did want to read this: uh, uh, an encounter between Frank Gotch and Tom Jenkins. Man, this just struck me as funny as I was looking at this today. He says, on January the 28th, 1904. I'm gonna lose it, boy. <laughs> Frank Gotch. Frank Gotch wins his first American heavyweight championship from Tom Jenkins. Gotch wins two straight falls, the second one by foul, which we know as a DQ. They called them fouls back then. Foul! Fouled them. The, Janu the January 24th edition, you're going to love this. The January 24th edition of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer proclaims the match is to, deter <laughs> to determine the champion of the Anglo-Saxon race. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh, this, is, this is going down some different uh, territory now. The match was for a two thousand dollar purse and a one thousand dollar side bet. So we That's know by purse. January twenty eighth that Frank Gotch is the champion of the Anglo Saxons. <laughs> well, oh boy, that's not the t-shirt you want to wear. But not going to get ever calling yourself King White Boy these days. I can tell you that <laughs> he is the original Dirty White Boy. Dirty White Boy. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that is some interesting news i did not expect to learn what year was that rob that was uh that was january of 19 january 28th 1904 okay that matches up with what i got here so so going into the next section here i mean it's basically in 1904 gotch beats jenkins that's where rob was at just now so he runs the usa that's this right. is catch catch can um, he runs the USA, which is predominantly white, I guess. I don't know, but I don't know. So American, the American heavyweight championship is where I thought we'd focus mostly, but the, uh, no, Rob has added, added a new wrinkle in that white robe. <laughs> Look, I'm just, I'm just reporting facts. I'm not saying like, I'm just saying, you know, you, we've all professional sports have had to deal with the stigma of racism and, and segregation and all that. And, you know, I've read stories of, of uh, persons of color wrestling, even in the United States in those days. But in America, uh, in 1904, in the in the highly segregated America, the man that they recognized as the champion by 1904, no doubt, was Frank Gotch. And so what you have now is across the Atlantic Divide, you've got two men claiming themselves to be the, 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 the top dogs, George Hackenschmidt in the continent, and uh, and Frank Gotch in, in North America. Well, then what ends up happening is, is Jenkins packs his bags, and he, he's like, I'm going to go overseas and hang out for a little while. He goes over there and decides to tussle with Hackenschmidt. 
Jenkins, who just dropped his American heavyweight championship, he tussles with Hackenschmidt, and guess what? He gets his ass whipped. That's what happens. <laughs> and it's a Greco-Roman style, which he's not used to. He's catch as catch can, but still, he gets his ass whipped. Now, Jenkins comes back to the USA. And somewhere in here, I don't know if this is during your uh, nine levels of hate, Rob, but uh, he ends up beating Gotch again and winning back the American Heavyweight Championship. And this, of course, leads to the question, well, if he's the American champion now, and Hackenschmidt's already beat him, and he's the European world champion, Shouldn't Hackenschmidt maybe get a shot here at the American Championship as well? Maybe it's time for Hackenschmidt to come over and uh, see what the Americans are all about. Yeah, somebody's got to come over somewhere. And it just so happens that what's the greatest wrestling venue in America? The Omni in Atlanta. But what's the second greatest, <laughs> what's the second greatest wrestling venue in America? Madison Square Garden. And on... May the 4th, 1905, Tom Jenkins. Star American, Wars Day. That's right. They were already already celebrating it back then. <laughs> uh, the, the American champion, the American world's champion, Tom Jenkins, and the European world's champion, George Hackenschmidt, had a rematch. And this uh, is catch rules. George, catch George, rules is on, George is on enemy turf, enemy rules. That's right. And uh, and presumptively, this would be a match to unify the two titles into a commonly recognized, undisputed, nay, world's heavyweight championship. And at the end of the day, when the sun set on May 4th, 1905, your reigning world's heavyweight champion was the Russian lion, George Hackenschmidt. Now, earlier today, I sent a uh, – and this – doesn't have too much historic significance, really more of a curiosity piece. But I sent a PDF document of a, ki- a copy of the Victory Sports Series Wrestling Yearbook for 1973 to, um, to post up some pictures of this. Yeah, to Will and Gary, my 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 comrades, my brothers at my brothers at arms. And the reason I sent it to them is because it has the headline is the NWA Champions from 1905 to 1973. Now, if you look in this. There are some grossly inaccurate details, some grossly inaccurate details, but the general threads are correct. You got to, you know, don't miss the forest for the trees here. And interestingly, in this magazine, tracing the NWA champions to 1905, this particular magazine, Victory Sports Series, which would eventually become the publication that we know now as Pro Wrestling Illustrated, lists the first NWA champion, NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, as Frank Gotch. How do we get there? Here we go. So <clears throat> George Hackenschmidt has just beaten Tom uh, Jenkins for the World's Heavyweight Championship. It's no longer disputed. If you got to place a top five at that point, you probably got to put number one, George Hackenschmidt. Number two, Frank Gotch, or those might be interchangeable. You could put Frank Gotch number one, Hackenschmidt. So either way, those two are tied for first. Number three is Tom Jenkins. Number four is Don McLeod, and number five, just, and I don't know this for a fact, and again, because there weren't ratings in those days, but just looking at my list of matches and uh, just kind of doing a rough anecdotal estimate of wins, losses, I would say my number five in those days would have been a young Stanislaus Abisko. His time is still coming, guys. But the two top dogs, no doubt, were Gotch and Hackenschmidt. And finally, 
on April 3rd, 1908. Now, this is what why I brought this up is because this magazine lists the match is taking place in 1905. To, to place that on Gotch is arbitrary because I think when Hackenschmidt beat Jenkins, you already have. Oh, you I have, see what's happening here. Okay, so maybe some people were saying like Hackenschmidt wasn't yet, and right, it wasn't until the first Gotch Hackenschmidt. According match. to this publication, and it's fine. The list is good. It's very helpful. You just have to you have to glean through it and, and cross check it because in 1905, Frank Gotch is not the champion. George Hackenschmidt is the champion, and and George Hackenschmidt beat you know the American champion Tom Jenkins, but. The, I would even press it further, and we've done this before in our discords and whatnot. It's not like these titles just originated overnight. You had claims. You had various claims. And so prior to 1905, it's not so important about who, you know, lineage doesn't have to be just one strain. Before 1905, the lineage is like capillaries coming from, from multiple strains and then eventually emptying out into a common bloodstream. But the lineage of the championship really does go back to, in America, to the 1860s, to the 1870s. You have an American championship that is going to graduate into, you know, is going to be consolidated. You know, the catch championships, the uh, Greco-Roman championships are going to coalesce. And in Europe, the same thing is going to happen. But all these capillaries have a legitimate claim to being the, what I like to call the Omega strand, the God particle of the NWA championship. The NWH, you can really say, you can truly, really say that the first NWA championship was uh, was McCullough or William Flagg. That is a true statement. And I understand when people criticize that and say, well, it's not the same. Well, I know it's not the same. But like we said in previous episodes, you're making an argument against, uh, you're arguing against something that nobody is debating. Nobody's saying that it's axiomatically the same, like it lines up, you know, point for point. What I'm saying is like the lineage goes back, the ancestry, the heritage, the inheritance goes back to that. But anyway, be that as it may, I don't want to, we could labor on that all night, man. We'll do deep dives into that, I promise you. But be that as it may, by April 3rd, 1908, we have an NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Is it the NWA yet? No, it will become the NWA. But Frank Gotch defeats George Hackenschmidt in a two out of three falls match. Now, here's the catch. In this match, post-match accounts will talk about how gentlemanly Hackenschmidt was and how crude Frank Gotch was. Again, the contrast of styles, Will, like we talked about, Europeans are gentlemanly, and Frank Gotch is the, you know, he is the more rough and tumble, the unkempt uh, competitor. You know, he would taunt, he would eye gouge, he would draw blood, he would, uh, uh, you know, he would oil himself up. I thought of Gary when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm old up right now. I can't like it. This is why I'm not talking more. Will and I were doing a match right before, so we keep slipping out of our chairs. <laughs> yeah, we're we're in the middle of two. We each we we've split it one fall apiece, so we got to get that third fall uh, after this. But yeah, go hey, ahead. Hey, well, can I? Best five out of seven. Let's do best five out of seven. Yeah, well, I mean, we just keep going. Sometimes we just we just get going. We don't want to stop. All night long. All night long. Uh, sure. If I if I could clarify something, if it doesn't interrupt your train of thought, real quick, uh, Rob, I just wanted to be uh, clear. I was I was researching this earlier, and I was looking up Dave Meltzer stuff. So I know he listens. Uh, Dave, hey, what's up? Uh, he he uh, uh, no, he was saying that one of the big misconceptions is is that people try to put that first gotch first gotch. Hackenschmidt match as in 1905 and that started with 
Muchnick, he claims, would say that is like it was like people were trying to rewrite history to kind of give Gotch this American hero story or something. And it was like, well, and, and he was saying, no, Gotch Hackenschmidt, Hackenschmidt happened a few years later. Hackenschmidt won the world title. The best real history is him winning this title in 1905 against Tom Jenkins and then Gotch winning it later. But people try to rewrite history and make that the first actual world title win and that sort of thing just to probably make a hero out of Frank Gotch and the lineage in America and all of that stuff. January 28th, 1904, Frank Gotch defeats Tom Jenkins. And you mentioned that uh, Jenkins would eventually beat Frank Gotch again. And that happened. Well, I don't have it immediately at my fingertips, but... We're not bogging you down too much, are we, Will? You're the audience surrogate, so we're just trying to make yeah, sure. Man. You guys are rolling. Keep going. July 2nd, 1904, Jenkins de is defeated by George Hackenschmidt. So if you're going to make the argument, it would seem to reason that you would argue that if you're going to say that George Hackenschmidt is the first world champion because he defeated the American champion, it really needs to be 1904 and, and not 1905 or 1908. He does say here in this article I have pulled up from Meltzer, he does say, just to be fair, that guys like Muldoon and Burns and those folks had been announced as world champions prior to this. But well, sure. You know, yeah. But people, you know, they, they people said often, that. yeah, people often call themselves world champions. Sometimes a person would call themselves world champion and not have even held a real title as a title that was just a gimmick. That was very common in those days, which is why I've made the point in past episodes in our discord and so forth that sometimes in those early, those pioneer days, the title is not as important as the person. Sometimes the person's more important. The title sometimes is just a gimmick or a, a tool to, to create a narrative. But I do see a note here and I'll have to go back and read in, in more detail, but I see a note here that says on May the 4th, 1905. And this may be where the confusion is. George Hackenschmidt defeats Tom Jenkins, American heavyweight champion in New York, New York. I'm assuming that's Madison square garden. Right. Finally become recognized as undisputed world heavyweight champion. And that's what we kind of talked about earlier, May the 4th, 1905, Madison Square Garden. And but the emphasis here in my notes is that the, the undisputed is underlined and highlighted. So there were definitely other claims and whatnot. But at this point in the Madison Square Garden match, that's when George Hackenschmidt has the has the claim. And that's where I would argue if you're going to point to a definitive beginning of a singular title that we're going to call the World's Heavyweight Championship, it really needs to be uh, May the 4th, Star Wars Day, 1905. Yeah, and we're, and we're we've hung on this point for a little long here, guys. And sorry, you know, for anybody listening, hopefully you're, you're still with us in the conversation and that sort of thing. But it, it's just uh, we're trying to clarify in our research, too, just like as we're learning and going through these things and trying to figure it out that and everything I could find. I mean, George Hackett made it a point to go find all these people that he could at the time to be like, you're, you're the world champion. Well, let's wrestle, <laughs> you know, and he would beat them. And he came over here. And so, I mean, as far as I could find, I couldn't find anybody that would dispute George Hackenschmidt being the first ever, quote unquote, real world's heavyweight champion. Well, uh, after eight, April 3rd, 1908, that point is moot because Frank Gotch ended the myth of Hackenschmidt um, and uh, won this match. It was a two out of three falls match, but we never got to fall two. You know why? Because the peerless one, caught Hackenschmidt in that notorious toehold. You know about the toehold, Will? Oh, I love the toehold. 
Tell me about it. Well, I was hoping Gary might be able to demonstrate the toll hole for us. Okay, here you go, Gary. Here's my foot. <laughs> All right. You see what I'm doing here? Right. Ow, ow, ow. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's I, how I, I, I We have spinning toe holes today, and we have there. I've looked around and I've researched. I'm trying to, I'm going to send an email out to my man, Carl Stern, to find out if we can get a description of what that toe hold was. Because we have descriptions of what like catch wrestling is, and we have descriptions of other holds. But I've looked and looked and looked, and I cannot find out what this toe hold was. But apparently, it was a submission hold. And it was so debilitating that whatever it was, Hackenschmidt could not answer the bell for the second fall. This was supposed wow. to be a two out of three falls match. Hackenschmidt could not respond for the second fall. And therefore, on one fall, Gotch wins the undisputed World's Heavyweight Championship. Wow. They yeah, know I how mean, long it took? Well, that's they another point. Keep- Brian Solomon, I think. Let me see. I, I've got my FAQ. Brian Solomon makes the point to say that uh, Hackenschmidt had hoped for a quick match, and Gotch gave him a you know a marathon match. So, which was part of the issue because a lot of by accounts during that time, one of the big things was is that Hackenschmidt at this time was not the same Hackenschmidt that had toured around and beaten so many people. Uh, by a lot of reports, Hackenschmidt showed up uh, a, a little soft. Yeah. yeah. And so he was, he was, uh, he was basking in the glory, so to speak. And I don't mean that as a Keith Lee reference, so I don't know why I said that. But <laughs> he was, he was enjoying his time as the champion, and nobody stepping up. And so he had let himself go a little bit. Is yeah. what I'm trying to say. He was uh, just enjoying his fame, and by the time he showed up to Frank Gotch, he was not prepared for a man who was ready to win a world championship and who had been training his whole life for this very moment. Uh, so Gotch gets in there and outworks him, out wrestles him, and well, this is one side of it. Out wrestles him, out works him, slaps on that uh, that toehold. Eventually, Hackenschmidt can't keep going. Gives the old tap out. They didn't tap out back then, but you get my point. He said, I yield. And he says, uh, rather than go for the two out of three falls, he just uh, he just gives up his world's heavyweight championship to Frank Gotch. But that's it. Frank Gotch is an American hero. He is celebrated all over the United States. Some call him the first world champion. Go ahead, Will. I feel like I feel like as as wrestling podcasters and reviewers, it seems like now I don't have the details. I, don't, I can't watch the match, but it's probably a match that we would have like criticized and we would have been like two out of three falls. We only got one and it was a yield and we probably would have raked it over the coals. Right. Like, oh, we didn't get our money's worth. So I don't know. So but I mean, I guess everybody was celebrating him. It was a big monumental occasion, I guess, because Hackenschmidt. Went nobody lost to the American. Everybody accepted it. It was perfectly fine. Nobody was unhappy. Right, Rob? Yeah, they, well, they weren't as hypercritical as we are. That's a really good question because remember, Hackenschmidt was considered the gentleman. He always was. Frank Gotch was considered the uh, the heel. You know, taunting in those days, fouls, bloodletting, all those stuffs were not part of the gentleman's sport yet. And so I don't know who, if America, I don't know if the patriotism played into this. It might have. We don't have any footage. I think it did. I mean, from everything I could find, it felt like everybody ran with it is what it felt like. I was was making a trick question, Rob. It was not universally celebrated. No, 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 no. It was honorably accepted. Hackenschmidt walked away this time like, fine he's the world champion but by the time he got back to europe he had a whole other story 
about what was going on here. And Solomon does say that uh, Gotch cemented his status as one of the country's most beloved and well-known sports celebrities. But he also says that that people claimed that uh, the challenger had bathed himself in oil to gain an unfair advantage. Critics pointed to Gotch's exceptional conditioning as his advantage and the fact that the champion had visibly left himself go during the years. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really make the point that I thought it had made. But, well, but- well, to answer another question too, Rob, this is actually in the comic book story professional wrestling, so I'm going to assume they got some research somewhere that maybe I didn't see. I'm going to hope. They say, until this point, Hackenschmidt had always relied on his renowned strength to put opponents away quickly but gotch embodying the slippery nature of carnival wrestling was able to evade hackenschmidt and gotch once again schooled in the rougher aspects of the one true sport also made liberal use of headbutts and other questionable tactics the russian lion even spoke out mid-match about the excessive amount of oil on gotch's skin which was a complaint that he says went unheeded by the referee The two grappled on their feet, to answer your question, Will, for a full two hours before Gotch dropped a waning Hackenschmidt and went for the infamous toehold. Hackenschmidt surrendered the fall. Championship matches of the era were required two out of three falls, but he relinquished his title instead of continuing the match. And uh, then it goes on to say his world champion Gotch was an American hero. Elevating wrestling to an even greater heights at home and abroad, he successfully defended titles against Stanislaus Bitsko, Dr. Ben Roller, and the aforementioned Tom Jenkins. But at this time, Hackenschmidt was pressing for a rematch. If that's accurate, I mean, they're saying, like, I mean, all of these things went into play here. You know, that, that Gotch was a little iffy on his tactics. And to answer Will's question, according to this, they went two hours and Hackenschmidt just yeah. couldn't put him down. And then he was just kind of done because he said that these rules were not okay with him. Basically, he just kind of. Well, well, just this just in. Actually, have Frank Gotch on the phone here. Well, let's just ask him. Mr. Gotch, <laughs> how you had, doing, sir? Hey, man, I don't, I don't know how to cheat and nothing like that. I wouldn't do that. I'm just an old farm boy from Iowa. You know what I'm saying? Hacks, you know, hacks, I've stepped in puddles deeper than that guy. You know what I'm saying? That dude ain't nothing. He's a he's a reason these days that there's labels on everything. He's a he's a dummy. I mean, I would not. I did not own myself up. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but at least I ain't him. That was just your natural body secretion, right? But look, I mean, man, just- you work on the farm for a little while. You just you build up a nice, nice moist sop, you know. And I'm used to having. <laughs> Used to used to get it up with my, my t shirt and my overalls and everything. And I couldn't. Okay, I mean the boy. He just we, we standing there in our underwear, and he's just gonna complain about a natural musk from a man. He's the one trying to just like bear hug me the whole goddamn time, and I'm just trying to you know I'm just trying to get a toehold because I'm just trying to go home to the family, and uh, I, I don't know. There's two sides to every story. I'm just saying hacks the douche in both of them. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Woo! Man, well, that's good, boy. That's thanks, good. thanks for joining us. We'll have Thank to. Thank you, Mr. Gotch. Yeah, y'all call, y'all call back anytime. I, 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 I <laughs> so, so, Will, uh, earlier you mentioned about length of match, and just here to quote the I found the Solomon quote. <laughs> Gosh, man, it was good, boy. Whatever the cause, it seems fair to assume that Hackenschmidt had hoped for a quick win, as was usual for him, as opposed to the grueling marathon he got from Gotch. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think we would have complained about a two-hour match ending with one fall. I think I would have been <laughs> okay like, with that. Home. <laughs> uh, I could see, I could see even Twitter being okay with that and being like, "Yes, one fall, that was enough." Uh, God dang it, God, go home, go home. <laughs> <laughs> you see the phone, and you're like, "Look, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah." He's like pointing to it. He's just pointing to his watch. Uh, guys, guys. Oh gosh, man. Anyway, anyway, back 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 on task here. I know we got to land this plane here. It's been fun, but uh, Gotch and Hackenschmidt after this match settle into one of the first truly bitter feuds in wrestling history. I mean, real talk, guys. Hack and Gotch did not like each other. They had PR reps that would give statements to the press. They would trash talk. Of course, Hackenschmidt was always seemed like he was always making excuses. And eventually, uh, the public, on the basis of those excuses, demanded a rematch between the Hillish Gotch and the gentleman Hackenschmidt. Hack wanted to compete in Europe. But the match that would be called the match of the century, now that always struck me as funny because it's, what, 1911 now? The match of the century was scheduled for September 4th, 1911 in Comiskey Park in Chicago. Unfortunately, prior to this match, Hackenschmidt suffered a knee injury while training with his partner, Dr. Benjamin Roller. And rather than postpone the match, Hackenschmidt was committed to proceeding, though he realized that his chances of victory were forlorn. Uh, Roller goes on to talk about how he saw, the night before the match, he saw uh, Hackenschmidt sitting on the banks of Lake Michigan, just like crying, just fret, just uh, hyperventilating, just terrified. By this point in the night before the match, Gotch was in his head. And he knew at that point that Hack was already defeated. And sure enough, in under 20 minutes, Hack finally got the quick match he wanted. In under 20 minutes, Gotch caught Hack in the toehold once again to win the match and retain the championship. Hack would he ne- had like a bursitis or something in this knee. And then in oh, the training yeah. with, with Roller, re-injured his knee. And so, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Now, they said he, Roller said he heard a pop. They heard a pop in the knee, and they knew something was wrong. But, uh, you know, he could have postponed the match, but he didn't. You know, he was a prideful man, and he felt like, you know, I'm going to go through with this. We get people are counting on it. They asked him prior to the match, I mean, are you sure you want to do this? And, and Roller says that he told the referee, I am fit to wrestle for my life. So they went ahead yeah. and, and went for it. Well, as it happened, after 20 minutes or so, or thereabouts, uh, Gotch again caught Hack in a toehold, won the match, two straight victories now over Hackenschmidt, and retained the World's Heavyweight Championship. And of course, Hackenschmidt's pride would never recover from this. He would remain bitter about this match to his grave. And Frank Gotch, for his part, would never lose the title. In fact, in 1913, when he retired, he retired as world's heavyweight champion. I mean, the thing is, is like Hackenschmidt stayed in the public eye. He was still, uh, he was well known for bodybuilding, bodybuilding and wrestling, like all of those things. Uh, but yeah, he kind of quit, you know, he, him and all his buddies would regularly write about and talk about gotch questionable tactics, uh, all of that stuff later on, by the way, there was a guy named Ad Centel who came forward. He told a story to Luthez that he was there that day and trade with Hackenschmidt and had been paid $5,000, which was a lot of money back in those days to injure Hackenschmidt. 
and said he purposefully injured Hackenschmidt's leg going into the match. Now, I say that to say Luthez has the story about this guy telling him this. Nobody can substantiate this story. Nobody can place him there. As far as we know, Roller was the only guy he trained with, according to history and that sort of thing. You know, it, it just is another little wrinkle in the story there that supposedly that Gotch had paid off someone or his camp had paid off someone to injure Hackenschmidt before this matchup. So there's that side of it. Also, there's a side of it that Meltzer reported on a little while back, I found, where that both guys supposedly got paid like roughly $20,000 each for this matchup, which was go home and retire money. Yeah. And the fact that this match lasted less than 30 minutes, which was like unheard of around the time between two guys. This is around the time, like a lot of people and including the press. And I mean, there had been stuff in the press prior to this. Don't get me wrong. But this was around the time where people started to really fixate on the idea of gambling, controlling the outcome of a matchup, controlling what happens in a matchup, the fixing, the predetermined outcome of a match, that sort of thing. So there's also that side of it. Just at, at the end of the day, this is this is really one of the big firsts in pro wrestling. A rivalry, a feud, a world title, uh, mysterious twist endings, uh, screwy finishes, just the idea of, is it a shoot or is it a work? Gotch versus Hackenschmidt. For all of that, by the way, for all those firsts, is also the first match of the century, like drawing so many people interested in this matchup between these two guys who are the best in the world. It was over a hundred people seeing this match. <laughs> they were all there. <laughs> all 100 people in New York, New York were there that night. Well, but, but that's 100%. Do you know what those ratings are in Nielsen? I don't. What, what, what we have right now is, now we have a period where we're about to enter into a period where we've seen now a series of major prize fights that have taken place, not in the heartland, not in Humboldt, Iowa, not on the traveling carny circuit, but are taking place in Madison square garden at Comiskey park. We see this movement of wrestling from the farms, from the countryside, from the rural areas to the great urban centers, which obviously means more money, and when you have more money, you got more hands. And when you have more hands, you've got more corruption and working. And so what we're going to see in our next episode is we're going to see the rise of the, of the major promoter, the rise of the promoter as a, uh, a business magnet and wrestling uh, uh, emerging as a major business uh, with, with storylines and narrative and, and, and rather than just being athletic competition, wrestling is going to become showmanship. And, uh, we will see that, uh, in the subsequent episode. Years later, there were all, like all kinds of stories about Frank Gotch, by the way, you can find them all, you know, like, uh, Luthez has stories in his autobiography hooker. Uh, you can get that on Kindle pretty easy. And, uh, he talks about there were rumors that Gotch would pay off referees. He would do all these things. But as Rob said, Gotch was the heel. That's the thing. And that's the part where it still kind of blurs the line a little bit. Like it, maybe there was fixing going on. I, I tend to believe like maybe that first encounter, maybe they really were going to go at it. And it's easy to believe that Gotch comes from a different place, man. Rob, you, you, you hit on it early on in the episode. Gotch is from, you know, where 
we're a young nation. We're young people. We don't have like the gentlemanly European wrestling was considered more pristine, just on a different level than what these ruffians were doing over here. And so Gotch gets in there. He comes from a place. He's a farm boy. He's traveling carnival. He's got to win. He's got to get it done. That's like his mantra, probably his whole life. And so he gets in there with hack and he's just like, whatever I got to do to beat this big ass bastard, I want to beat him. <laughs> and so he does it. Hack's not used to that. And Hack had let himself go a little bit. There's all those reports. So could have been that. There were reports from different places I saw that said that maybe Hack was led to believe he was going to go in on this match and uh, he was going to come out on top and gotch, he shot on him. That That's the fun of it, though, is there's like a hundred different variations of the story of what happened here yeah. between Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt. And to think this is one of the earliest feuds. This is back in 1908. Really? And to this day, people still, historians still, kind of argue about what really was the story that yeah, happened between not, these Here's two. my mind frame on this, Gary. Like, And, and I know we, we kind of have to talk about working and shooting just if we're going to be honest about covering wrestling. But beyond the transition, I really am content to let all that debate fall by the wayside because I like to approach this as a fan. You know what I mean? I don't care if it was a worker or shoot or not. I know that those guys, like, they were presenting a pageant, and that's all I care about. I could care less if it was a shoot forever, if it's a shoot today, or if it's a work today. What I'm interested in is wrestling as the purest form of, as uh, the penultimate form of performance art. And Hack and Gotch shoot or work they delivered that par excellence well and at this point if if we don't know a definitive answer now we're not going to get it because all parties have passed on and so at this point it's all just speculation so i mean i'm content with that too just because we're not going to have a definitive answer I'm just going to assume that what I see is real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, man. Randy I, Orton burnt that dude, man. He burnt well, We didn't establish this up front. Y'all keep talking about Bray Wyatt's coming back. He's dead, y'all. No, he's gone. He's, yeah. He's dead. I watched him burn. I watched him burn. I saw it. I seen it. I seen it. I guess we should probably always start with this. So when we start throwing in these terms, I think we we all try to be really respectful of actual professional wrestlers in the industry that we're not technically. I mean, we're we're not involved in. I shouldn't even say technically. We're not we're not behind the scenes. We're not working for a company. We're not in the ring. We're not doing all those things. So we we by no means are trying to speak out of turn on any and, and use any of these terms. I'm sure a guy like Jim Cornette would hop on here and be like, you son of a bitch, you don't know what you're talking about. But uh, I mean, hey, man, we can research as well as anybody. We can dig this stuff up. We can hear the stories. We can we can talk about what's out there. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to cover it at certain points. It's just easier to tell sides of the story using some of that terminology. Oh, no, you're right. I, I, I get that. And then that's what my point is. Like, I know out of necessity, We've got to use some of that like business jargon, but personally, me, I don't care, man. I don't care about any of that. I just like to know that, you know, at the end of the day, when when the dust settled in 1911, we had a world champion, and we can trace our current championship linearly back to that one for sure. And uh, you know, for a good or ill, shooter work. I mean, there's probably even today, there's probably a mixture of both. But I don't care, man. I'm there for the spectacle. Well, hey, man, I haven't studied ahead. We're gonna get into it. I feel so much more educated, and I hope 
you folks do. Uh, hopefully we're doing our job here because that's what we're trying to do. All we're, we're doing the research. We're trying to find it out. We hope you come along for the ride. And if we've missed anything, I'm almost going to regret saying this, but if we've missed it, dude, email us at tipwshow at gmail.com or hit us up on our DMs on Twitter, Facebook, or wherever. Let us know. Maybe we'll do an episode of just user interaction uh, or listener interaction where, where you guys tell us what you think we got wrong, what you think we got right, what you have questions about that we can dig deeper into and ask some of the people that we maybe have contacts with. Maybe they can help us out. We can find the answers. Let's do this together. Let's create a pro wrestling history that you can just follow from A to B right here on this podcast. Uh, guys, do you have anything else you wanted to add to this right now? Oh, I'll just say uh, join our Discord. I don't know if we mentioned it yet. That's another good way to get in touch with us. Uh, the pinned tweet on our Twitter account and join us and come join the conversation over there. And I would say that, you know, virtually all of our um, all of our content that we put out, whether it's our live streams or what we're doing on TikTok, what Will's doing, what Gary's doing, all of us make an effort to link the past to the present. I mean, the the, the past is important, but it's important to us because of where we are now. And so, uh, you know, our mission here is to show you that wrestling is relevant to life, that it's important as a cultural phenomenon, as a as a as a performance art, and as the 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 purest sport of all time. So go check out all of our other stuff. We're we're on every social media you could think of, whether it be TikTok, Twitter, doggone Instagram, all of them. Napster, we on all of them, baby. Tinder, <laughs> grinder. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We are at TIPW Show on all the things. That is at this is Dr. Stinson at this is Will Martin and I am at this is Gary Horn. We make it super easy for you to follow us. So don't make excuses. We have a yeah. uh, we have a show on NBC called This Is Us. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's nope. That's that's nope. That's not us. I play oh, Randall. What? I play that's Randall. And- Man, Will pulled one off, boy. Yeah. <laughs> all right yeah, anyway, here. <laughs> you guys tune in with us next week and we're going to dig deeper into the history we're working our way up pretty soon before you know it we'll be in the attitude era where everybody cares about wrestling again uh, <laughs> now nah, man we got to get through the 80s the 70s the 60s it's gonna be fun we're gonna have a good time there's a lot to talk about we're doing the timeline and then once we get through that we get to dive into people like what the hell is up with Frank Gotch this whole time? And then you just get like a nonstop hour and a half of my impersonation of Frank Gotch. I yeah. know they want to see Will Muldoon. Everybody wants to see about Will Muldoon, man. Yeah, Will oh. Muldoon. You got to jump in. Wait till he joins us. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you. We love this thing, and we're grateful for every single one of our listeners. Until next week, enjoy your gravy cake.